This is Actualize Freedom. Straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. What's up, guys? Danny Carlson here with the Actualized Freedom Podcast. And this is a guy that you have probably heard of if you've been cruising around on YouTube and any kind of Amazon FBA space. And really excited to dive into what we have here. It is very much going to be focused on product research and just some some good heuristics that you can use when growing Amazon FBA businesses. And I know personally that without any kind of heuristics, I would not be able to accomplish anything in my business because naturally I have crazy shiny object syndrome and want to be doing everything and switching what I'm doing every single day. So welcome to the podcast, Johnny. How are you doing? Thank you very much, Danny. Yeah, thank you for having me on the podcast. Really appreciate it taking up your time as well. Um, yeah, I can't wait to get into the, these topics. Super passionate about um, just trying to educate people as much as possible and give people the best chances to succeed, whether that is in Amazon. Um, but I think a lot of the things that we we're probably going to talk about today are relative to, I'm pretty sure any business, anything that you run, any product or service. Um, So yeah, hopefully we can give people a lot of value today. Awesome. So the first thing I want to talk about is your approach to product research. And this is something too that I know you have a unique approach compared to a lot of people who are just all kind of saying the same things and they were saying the same things in 2014 as well. So uh, like what is your approach and what makes it unique? Yeah, okay. Uh, let, me, let me give you a bit of a backstory um, for people that, that don't know me. Um, I used to work at Apple. I worked for Apple, Apple for about five years, and I kind, of, <laughs> I, I kind of gargled their ethos, and I was a proper fanboy. I, I, kind of, I like them still now, but I was a proper fanboy um, when I was there, and really got ingrained in their culture and how they approach not just customer service, but product. And I fortunately got to work with some people on you know, that are behind marketing and behind how they put their messages out. So I did some secret projects. I won't go into too much detail, <laughs> but I got to speak with the people that actually, um, that actually decide what terminology they use, what images they use, what everything they use in their marketing, marketing materials. And it gave me a really huge insight to how a company, you know, a, a multi-billion or whatever it is, a dollar uh, or trillion, I think it is, um, dollar company, how they approach customers and how they approach creating their products with the customers in mind. And that's something that has been ingrained within me for a huge amount of time and is part of my personality. So when I started selling on Amazon, when I started learning, then I was told you know, many things that you kind of hinted at of just find something and you know, that sells well, that's got low reviews and, and just bundle it with something else that is frequently bought together and then you're good. And then you'll be able to, to sell some products. And I did that and it works, right? There's, it does work. But the problem, I, I just, I had this feeling inside of me that that wasn't what I wanted to do because that's not what I'd been taught and I'd been conditioned to think of what good business should be. So when I started doing, you know, the next product, I started to approach it more like how I wanted to approach it. And then the product after that, I, again, really, really got into it. So my approach is, is I, I call it a complete solution, and this is kind of taken from Apple because they have something called the complete solution. I've just kind of molded it towards Amazon. And it's a mixture of three things where a lot of people focus on the metrics, right? Uh, you want to have, you, wanna, you, wanna, you want it to sell. You want your product to actually 
be bought by customers, obviously. But what a lot of people don't then look at is the other two areas that I put probably the majority of the focus on, which I call one, potential customer needs, and two, potential customer solutions. And the idea of this is empathy, right? It's having empathy for the customer and getting into their shoes, understanding what it's like to be them, realizing that just like any time someone buys a product or service, they're buying it for a reason to because they have a belief that it's going to work or a belief that it's not going to work um, because they have a clear need. They have a buying trigger. There's a reason why they're sitting in their, on their sofa in their living room or in their kitchen or in a car and they think, I need to buy this. There's a reason for that. So what I like to do is what I, I teach people is get into that mentality and have empathy for the customer because then you can create products that truly serve them to a higher level. And that's the difference between creating a product that you can sell, you know, some units and you could probably, you know, make some money on to the, to actually creating something that potentially could be one of the best sellers or be a long-term brand and, and be something that you could you know, um, generate income from for a lot longer because you've thought way, way more about the actual customer rather than, okay, let's just make some money from, from Amazon. Does that, does that all make sense? Yeah. Well, and I love that concept too, but I'm wondering for you, what kind of practical methodologies would you recommend people do so like getting inside the mind are you talking you're going to open up like a word document and then just write out a list of potential problems and then like try to write a potential solution for every potential problem in a, in a list is it just as simple as that or what is your actual actionable process you go through um yeah really good question yeah so um this is something called i <laughs> i didn't i didn't uh, come up with this this is a book called the business idea factory um, really, really cool book. Uh, I can't remember the author's name, unfortunately, but I'd highly recommend people go and buy it. It's a very thin book, very small, but really, really good about engaging your, your subconscious brain. And this is what this following exercise does. So what I do is I get a piece of paper, uh, something like that, and I draw a line down the middle, uh, or just a pen out, you know, just a piece of paper or whatever, and start coming up with the needs of the customer. So when I did this for my brand, where is it? Um, so I have this brand Hydrofuel, okay? And when I did it for this, uh, you know, I've always told people don't sell water bottles because there's low margins and they're too competitive. And I thought, do you know what? No, I'm going to ignore myself and I'm going to find a gap in the market. I'm going to find a need that, that's not being met by the, customer, by the current sellers. So what I started doing was on a piece of paper, thinking about all the reasons why someone would buy a large water bottle, a large sports water bottle. And obviously the things come up straight away, or they want to go to the gym, or they want to you know, stay hydrated. But then as you start coming up with more ideas, you need to be fairly flexible with this and think, okay, well, I'm just going to come up with 20 ideas. And 19 of them might be rubbish. And then I'm going to have a break. I'm going to come back to it the next day or after you've had lunch. Then I'm going to write down another 20 ideas and then another 20 ideas until you have a hundred of these like potential needs. Because what's happening is that you're training your brain. You're getting your subconscious brain working. So if you've ever had it where you're like washing the dishes or you're in the shower and you're like, oh my God, the ideas come to me. It's because your brain's been working on it on the problem in the background. It's like your subconscious brain can work so much faster than your conscious brain. And then eventually when it gets idea, it pushes it forward and goes, there's the answer you've been looking for. And this happened for me when I've been doing these, you know, these uh, like exercises again and again and again, thinking, okay, where's the, where's the gap in the market? Where's the need that, that's not being met? And eventually I was uh, just down the road at a coffee shop where I go to quite a lot. 
and I was just having breakfast and I was just thinking about this, you know, pulling my hair out going, there must be, there must be a gap in the market. There must be a way. And I got a, a notification on my phone and I thought that was it. And that I had that aha moment, you know, the eureka moment where the, my subconscious brain put everything together because what one of the needs was that people want to stay hydrated, right? And the problem with that and the pain point is that people forget to hydrate. So it's getting, it's getting kind of more deeper into the need rather than just, oh, I need to drink. It's like, why do they need to drink? Well, they're getting headaches. They want to clear up their skin. They're at work and they forget to drink because there's, um, you know, the, the taps in the room or like myself, they're working all day and they just forget to go downstairs. So they need to be reminded. And all the products on Amazon, I'm, I'm sure you've seen these, on the back they have like 5 a.m. or 8 a.m. time to drink up. I'm not sure if you've seen these before. And I was thinking about that. I was like, okay, that's a solution, but it doesn't work, right? It doesn't solve the need. So when I got the phone notification, I was like, I looked at my phone notification immediately and I was like, oh, that's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remind people to hydrate. And then from that point, then came the solution, right? And coming up with a whole bunch of different solutions, again, going on a piece of paper and just writing down, okay, how can I, how can I remind people? So I'm going to have an app, I'm going to have this, I'm going to have that. You know, what does the, what does the bottle need to have to be able to fulfill the needs that I've now figured out. Um, and this process takes a bit of time, but it's, it's just the exercise of writing down your ideas and not having, you know, being okay to think outside the box and being okay that most of your ideas are going to be rubbish because you never know the 30th idea, the 31st idea might be the one that allows you to then break through and come up with the solution that is going to solve the customer's need better than your competition. Yeah, and that's a trainable thing too. I love that you're bringing that up that you should just come up with ideas and just let it flow even if they're bad ideas because most of them will be bad. But I think that most adults anyways, you know, when we're, when we're kids, we can express ourselves freely and we don't really have any filters and that's great. But the older we get, the more we learn that, hey, if you have an idea and you say something and other people think that that's a stupid idea, then you're going to get ridiculed, you look dumb, and so we kind of shut up. And eventually, our own brains are going to be that person who's telling us to shut up. We come up with an idea, and then we're telling ourselves why it won't work, or immediately looking for all the reasons why it won't work. And then what that's doing is training our subconscious brain to not come up with ideas as often, right? So I love that you have a practice of continually coming up with ideas and not ridiculing yourself for those ideas, just sitting down until you have enough ideas generated. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that's um, I, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Because at the end of the day, this is going to be for you. You know, this is you know, you, you don't have to show anyone. So you could write down something really stupid, and then you don't have to worry about it because no one's going to see it, right? Um, I still like to kind of self ridicule in in a sense where when you have a solution for the for the product. So um, you know, the three parts of the complete solution would be the metrics of so the numbers which we need, right? It's the tip of the iceberg. We do need that. The needs of the customer and then the solutions. And that, that meet those needs um, and that would fulfill the, the, the demand. And so one thing I like to do is come up with three potential solutions and then ridicule them and go, why? So rather than why are these going to work? Why wouldn't they work? Why, why wouldn't customers like them and play devil's advocate? Because I'm sure maybe you've seen this and I've definitely done this. When I've looked at someone else's solution, I go, ah, that's rubbish, right? That's not going to work. Um, because you see things from a different perspective when you try and, I don't know, when you're a different person, when you're not the person that created it. So I think when you're doing this product research and this product development stage, 
I think it's really important if you are doing it by yourself um, or you know, a small group of people to always play devil's advocate and rather than think, okay, this is going to work, is think, well, why wouldn't it? Why wouldn't a customer buy this product? Why would, someone, why would a customer buy the competition's product? Um, so then you can go back to the drawing board if needed and you can make a small little tweak, a small little change that solves that, that issue or solves that problem that you've then identified. Yeah, I think that's really important too because one common mistake I see beginner Amazon sellers make is really not battle testing their differentiation if it actually brings value to the market. So um, one really common one I see is someone, they find a product and they see, oh, the top competitor, they're selling a three pack of this product and that's great. And so therefore I'm going to differentiate myself by selling a five pack because five is certainly better than three <laughs> and you know three seems to be outperforming one. So we'll just do that. But in a lot of cases, it's not better to have five of something that you don't need five of, you know, maybe, maybe three added legitimate value, but five is just, uh, just ridiculously too much of something, right? If it doesn't actually bring value to that specific market, then it's, it's not good, right? So actually battle testing that and see if it's going to bring value to your target customers. I think a very good point that you brought up. Yeah. And there's something you could, that people can do with this to test it as well because what you don't want is say that that scenario right you have the five pack instead of instead of the three pack you don't want the first time to to test that when it's live on amazon and you've already bought the units and you've spent money on it that's not you know, like if, if if that's the time where you test it then you've left it too late the, you know if you start up any other company one of the big things everyone always does is market research, right? And you could say using Jungle Scout and Helium 10 and stuff like that is market research, but it's not asking real people and it's not getting people's opinions. So um, what I would say people should do is, uh, is do something called a customer verification experiment or product verification experiment. And this comes from, I was watching a documentary about, it was on Netflix about, um, uh, about statistics, right? Super <laughs> weird thing to watch, but I like it. And they talked about something called the law of large numbers. And I'm not sure if, it, I'm sure everyone's done this. When you're at school, you do like an experiment and you plot out the, the results on a graph, right? And then after you've got all the results in the graph, you draw a line of best fit, you know, probably down the middle. And there's a few outliers and stuff like that. And the reason why we do that, the reason why that works is because of the law of large numbers, which is the, the, the more times you repeat an experiment, the closer to the, uh, the actual results, the, the closer to the expected results it gets, right? So when you do an experiment, if you do an experiment once, you might actually get the anomaly. Whereas if you experiment a lot of times, you eventually get that line of best fit. So... What you, don't want to, what you don't want to do is go into selling on Amazon without doing any experiments. So go out and ask people. And it's not hard to find people. So you can say to people, here's three options, right? Here's one option, which is one um, of this product. Here's two, uh, the second option, which is three. And here's the third option, which is five um, you know, uh, bundles. And you go out to people and you say, which one would you buy? You know, the price is this much, and maybe the price is a little bit different for each one. Which one would you buy? And if you ask one person, they might go, oh, do you know what? I'm going to have the one with five because it's got more. However, if you ask nine more people and they all say, I want the one with three, then you'd be crazy to sell the one that has five units, right? Five pieces in, because the majority of people are going for the three. So you don't want, you don't want to get that feedback when your product's live on Amazon and people aren't buying it. You want to get that feedback before it ever happens so you can make the changes. And that's very easy to do. 
It's just finding people that are, that, are, that are enthusiastic or want that product. And I'm pretty sure any product you can think of, we can go and find people online that, that would want that product and you know, would, would give feedback about it. Yeah, and it's a really great resource, uh, Mechanical Turk, uh, which I believe is what, um, uh, what is that? There is a, a software in the space that uses Mechanical Turk to get feedback from yeah. customers. Um, so yeah. for a very cheap price, you can get thousands or even just a couple hundred people to go through a very quick survey. And it's going to cost you maybe $50 to get a bunch of really good data that could potentially save you thousands of dollars on launching a product that no one actually wants. <laughs> very, very important. Yeah. Um, and I'm really curious to hear, Johnny, um, what are some of the other tips you recommend when it comes to product research? Because obviously this is you know, a very intense subject that you can go on for, for as long as you want, I'm sure. But like, what is another really core fundamental piece that you think a lot of people aren't really doing correctly? Uh, yeah, I think this probably goes down to the the number of reviews kind of question. How many? How much competition is too much competition? What's low competition? What's high competition? And the the more and more that I do this, the more and more I help people. The <laughs> the more against the grain, I, I guess my mentality is going with this. Um, people mostly say you want low competition, right? And that's, that's, that's kind of true. But a lot of competition isn't a bad thing. And just because someone has high reviews doesn't mean that they're your competition. If we look at uh, over the last four, I think it's the last four or six weeks or so, I can't remember exactly when, Amazon have merged the reviews or the, the ratings from different marketplaces. So for example, in the UK, if there's a seller that has that same product in Germany and they had, let's say, a thousand reviews, but they only had a hundred reviews on their UK listing, now on their UK listing, it shows 1,100 ratings, whereas before it would show 100 reviews. And that means that a lot of the competition or the perceived com competition has gone up very, very quickly. Um, but the product's still the same. The product's still exactly the same. So how can we compete? And we compete by doing the product research. We compete by finding that gap in the market. And we compete by creating something that's better than the competition. So the more I think about competition, the more I uh, kind of see it in practice, the more actually I'm not that concerned about it. And as long as you approach your products and you approach your business with that in mind, if there is more competition, you, you can push through. And I've seen this quite a few times where quite a lot of my clients have gone for high competitive markets They've just done it really well and had a, a mechanism to get a lot of reviews very quickly. And they've absolutely smashed it. They've done it incredibly well. I know the US is a very different marketplace with, you know, like 10 times more competition than the UK. Um, but I think that's one thing that people don't need to be so scared about. They don't need to be so scared about if uh, someone has a lot of reviews because actually it's very easy to overcome. It's, it's not hard to get a whole bunch of reviews very quickly if you put focus on it and if you put a lot of attention into that part of your business. Um, so I think that's one thing I would say to, to tell people to just expand their thinking around, you know, make sure there's demand for the product. The demand is the most important thing. If no one's buying it, then there's no point doing it, right? That's the most important thing. But there's always a, a way around the competition question of how much competition is too much. There's always a way. And that's why I, I, I did this um, product is because I wanted to take something that was super competitive and show people 
that even when there's something super competitive, there's still a gap in the market. And if you can, if you can meet that competition and you can somehow skirt around it, then you have a business, right? Um, so yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah. And another way that I know you like to talk about is how to really clearly and effectively communicate the key benefits and the key pieces of information about that product, right? Because in e-commerce, mm-hmm. you have a very limited um, piece of the customer's attention to convert them to a sale, or they can very easily click onto someone else's listing on the search results page, or even on your own page, something like 27 other products show up on all of your product listing pages, yeah. right? So if you're not just very clearly and concisely communicating that information to customers, they're out of there. So what do you recommend people do and what should they mm-hmm. focus on to really get that across yeah. to customers and convert them? Yeah, it's worse than that though. It's worse, <laughs> it's worse than that. You're saying about all of the, all the different options that they have on Amazon, but they've got a whole other life that they're, <laughs> that they're living with their TV on. They like might be in their car. They might be listening to music or at the gym. Like, there's so many things that are trying to get the, our customers' attention. How the hell are we supposed to, to communicate the features and benefits to that customer within literally a, a split, like a few split seconds? If you've seen someone uh, on Tinder, right, or um, scrolling through Netflix and looking at different things to, to to watch, or you know, swiping through different people. Um, I saw this with a friend and I saw, I saw him swiping through Tinder and it was like three swipes a second. And I was like, oh my God, I've never used mm-hmm. Tinder. And I was like, oh my God, how can, you, how, like, how can you make these decisions? And, and what I started looking into is attentional theory. Um, so something called uh, Posner's attention theory and how we, how we give attention to things and how we uh, ignore things, but they, we still at- attend to them in some sense. Our brain can make incredibly fast decisions, like incredibly quick decisions about if something's worth our time or worth our attention. And we don't know this is happening, it's all subconscious. And this exact same thing happens on Amazon from when someone types in search term to see those lists of results to when they click on your listing and they scroll through your pictures. You know, people scroll through, next time you do it, uh, if anyone's listening, just think to yourself, how quick am I scrolling through these photos? And what you'll find is you're probably going through one every second or so maybe one and a half two seconds that is not a lot of time to be able to communicate the features and benefits to someone so one of the biggest things i see people do wrong is their images you know they've launched the product on amazon they've put so much work into the actual product they've you know learned about ppc they've got loads of reviews but their images are just like uh, they're uh, uh, they're sucking the sales out of their products and it's because they're not able to communicate efficiently with clarity so one of the things that I would I see the, mo- the the majority of people do wrong is bombard an image with too many features, right? Put so many features about it does this 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 all on one image, and the problem is that the more you try and show someone, the less they actually see. There's a um, there's a really really cool book called Insanely Simple by Ken Segal, and he's one of the guys that worked on the marketing campaigns uh, for the iMac when it was like first released. And he told a story about, this, this puts it into perspective, he told a story that they're in a marketing meeting with Steve Jobs and their marketing um, company. One of the guys was trying to explain that they wanted to use the 30-second ad slot to explain one feature to, to the customers, the people watching TV. 
But Steve Jobs was like, no, I want to show these six features. Like we're going to dedicate you know, these six, this 30 seconds to these six features because those are the things I want to talk about. You know, the more we show people, the more likely they are to buy it. The marketing team were like, no, 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 no. We want to show them one thing. And the, the argument went on for like 20, 30 minutes. And then basically this, this guy just got annoyed. I think his name was Lee, but uh, don't quote me on that. And he just scrunched up like six pieces of paper from his notepad, stood up and then just like said catch, threw them all at Steve Jobs. And obviously he didn't catch any, right? Because he's trying to like look at all these pieces of paper at once. They all just hit him. They fell down and he didn't catch any at all. And this guy said, that's a bad ad. He then got one ball, like one scrunch up piece of paper and said catch, threw it. Uh, Steve caught it and then threw it back and he said that's a good ad and the, this is the way I like to think about images on Amazon or any marketing materials really is that you're trying to throw one ball rather than six you want someone to actually catch that feature that you're trying to throw to them and understand it and be able to throw it back rather than try and throw loads of things at them saying look how good we are look how amazing we are because what's going to happen is that they're just not going to, they literally are just not going to see it. There's going to be too much on the screen and they'll just scroll past. And so what I try and, 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 and tell people is, you know, you have your hero image, your first image where you're trying to show what the product comes with to get a click, right? You know, if you don't have a good click through rate, then you're not, going to, you're not going to sell any products. Your PPC will be rubbish and it has all those knock-on effects. But take your first, you know, the next five photos and dedicate one feature to each photo, but make sure that you communicate that feature really clearly so that the heading is clear. If, if someone looks at the heading, they look at maybe a bullet point and they look at the picture, either one of those things, they'll understand exactly what the feature is. So if they look at the picture and they don't read it, they understand what it is. If they look at the, the writing, but they don't look at the picture, they understand what it is, etc. So when they scroll through every like picture every second, they can literally pick up on the five features you're trying to communicate and they're far more likely to buy your product because they understand what it is. We know that a confused customer doesn't buy. So if we can help give them clarity about what a product is, then they're more likely to buy our product than our competition's product that is trying to bombard them with all these things, right? Yeah, and that's one of the biggest mistakes that I see on our clients' listings as well is just especially putting way too much text on an image. And you got to think as well, if it's not easily readable on a small mobile screen, how can you expect anyone to actually read the text that's on the image? So if someone's shopping on the mobile app and they click to zoom in so it fills up the entire screen and then they have to pinch to zoom in more to read around the entire image, you can guarantee almost no one is actually reading what's on that image. And I think a lot of people forget too that visuals are a much more effective way to communicate things. So I wrote a blog post recently about the science behind images on Amazon and it just compiled a bunch of research that went into the psychology behind images and kind of the neuroscience behind it. And the neuroscience says that we can comprehend about 30,000 words per minute worth of information from an image as opposed to my reading speed is about 400 words per minute. So you do the math on that of just how much information you can get because think about it this way our brains evolved for you know the past millions of years as you know whatever was the pre-homo sapien to be able to visually process massive amounts of information and that means mm -hmm. something to our brain but language is fairly new it's in the several thousands of years and especially written language right so uh, mm -hmm. just using images to communicate things 
can have a lot of information easily communicated, like the size, like a model's holding the product. Immediately, you can tell how big it is compared to the model relatively. You can tell so many different things just from an image without any need for a million logos and icons and text. Totally. Yeah, if you say to me, how long is 12 centimeters? I'm going to be like, I don't <laughs> well, I don't know. But if, if you have something in your hand, you're like, oh, okay, that's like, that, I know how, how big that is. It's just like intuitive. That's a really, really good point. Um, yeah, images, you know, that, that age old state of image tells a thousand words. What did you, how many words you said it was like 30,000 or something? 30,000 like per minute. I mean, yeah, and like I, I've been taking a speed reading course and I can still only read 400 words per minute. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy to me. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And that's, I think that's where a lot of people that have products that they think are failing or they think they're doing badly, as soon as they make these changes with their images, then literally suddenly over, it can be as literal as overnight, their sales can just go up. And they think, oh my God, this is magic. But it's not magic, it's just human nature, right? It's just, if you can create something that is able to communicate with another human being, in a better way than other people, you're going to make the sale. You're like, people are going to buy your product and people don't know why, the customer doesn't know why. They think, oh, it must be a, it must be a better product. But it's because they understand it more. It's because they've been able to be, be communicated to properly so that they can make the right buying decision. And I feel that there's a lot of people that if they're listening to this and they think, how can I increase my conversions, right? How can I, uh, and if you don't know your conversion rate, then you, you need to know it. You know, how many sessions, how many people are going on your listing and how many people are buying it. You know, you want that to be as high as possible. It's, you know, as obviously as close to 100 as possible, which is very, well, never going to happen. But you want, if it's 10% and you can get that to 20%, right? That may sound like a big difference. It's a double difference. But that will mean a huge difference in your conversion for things like your PPC. And just the general profitability of your product. And once you get it to that point, you can push it even further. The main thing is, if you can sort out your images, that's why someone buys your product. They look at your first image. If they don't like your first image, they're not clicking on it at all. If they go through and they don't understand what your product is, and they don't know why it's subconscious, then they may not even look at the price or they won't look at the reviews. They're certainly never gonna look at the description, like most of the time, unless it's like a technical product. So it's our job to be able to, or it's our job to, to make it as easy as possible for customers to make that buying decision and we'll be rewarded in turn with a better business. Yeah, and what do you think about, um, there's a concept that I talk about often in my triple optimized Amazon listing methodology that I like to call key info optimization. So essentially the optimization of figuring out what is the most important information about a product that a customer would need to know in order to make the sale and then optimizing that in the correct place of the listing. Do you have a specific process for identifying like what is the most key piece of information about this product and, you know, so I can identify and put it in the most important places of the listing? Yeah, I, I do a couple of things for that. Um, so I have, I have something called the functional design formula and um, the way that I look at images is they, they should be functional, right? And we're talking about serving a purpose. The function is buy the product, right? That's the function of the photos. So we want to create them with functionality in mind. And it's a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. And um, the first thing I do, I try and keep it as simple as possible, right? And literally write down, okay, image one, image two, image three, image four, and going, going down and go, what's the, first of all, what's the features that I need to communicate? 
and try and think about this from the, the customer's point of view. But because hopefully you've done your, your product research with the customer in mind, this stuff just, should just come to you straight away, right? It should be stuff that you've researched before. What's the most important things about my product? And write down those features. Then it's trying to get the most functional order of those images. And one thing you can do is do these experiments again. And uh, an example of this is when I, before I launched the Hydrofuel brand, then, because it comes with an application, my phone application. And that was one of the main things because it's so different to the other sellers and it solves the need. I was like, okay, cool. So I'm gonna put an image on there, I'm gonna make it really good and I'm gonna stick it in my images. So I had a list of about seven images and I showed it to a few people and I said, can you scroll through and spend no more than like 10 seconds scrolling through these photos and then just tell me, and I just asked them to answer a few questions like, what is the product? Um, what's the main feature? What's the main benefit? Um, and all that sort of stuff. What did you think of it? And just do little questionnaires. And they were coming back to me and saying that it comes with this fruit infuser and it's you know high quality, whatever. But they weren't saying to me, it comes with an app. And I was like, why? <laughs> I put a lot of work into this. Why are they not telling me that it has this app, right? And it was the order of the image. It was the order of the images. I had that image last, right? It was my sixth or seventh uh, image in this series of images. Because I thought, oh, it's in like software, like ebook type thing, let's stick it at the end. But what happens is that most people lose attention by the point that they get to that, those last images, right? So all I did is I conducted the same experiment but moved that picture to the second image. And then all of a sudden the feedback was, it comes with, and it's all, all of it was based around this app. So what I think is really important to do is stress test, right? Test the order of your images and test the features and ask real people. And people that aren't in this Amazon space, I think that's really important because as soon as you start asking people that like sell on Amazon, they look into it in too much detail. They start analyzing the photos. But actually what you want is someone to look at it as a customer, right? As a, as a kind of like real human being, not like a little uh, Amazon gremlin like we all are. And you'll get much better feedback. You'll, get, you'll just get much better feedback because it's real, right? It's real feedback. And it's exactly the same thing will happen on Amazon. The order of your images and what you're trying to communicate on each one is so, so important. And one tiny little change like that can obviously make a big difference. The thing is, of course, you can run split tests and you can you know, test one set of images for, for, let's say, four weeks, and then you could change one image or you can move it around and test it for another four weeks. But wouldn't it be much better if you could just get that feedback before you ever uh, launch the product? Because you're going to be able to succeed so much quicker than if you were to wait and do these tests. So for, for the actual images, when I design them, it's, it's just a case of thinking. It's just thinking about, okay, what do my customers want? What what are they not getting from the competition? You know, look at the reviews of other people and the complaints that they're telling about their, oh, I wish it had this. And if yours does have that, then kind of stick it up the, um, the order a bit, put it closer to the front of those images because it's going to get more attention from the customer. And if you have a, a standout feature from your competition that does set you apart, make sure people know about it and don't stick it at the end. And I'm not talking about eBooks and things like that because generally they're not offering much value. But if there's a significant feature about the product, then make sure your customers know about it um, and, and test it as well. Test it before you, the images ever make it to Amazon. Yeah, definitely 100% in agreement with everything you just said there. And I'm currently wondering what it took to get this app here. Did you use some other 
white label app and just kind of set it up? Or did you hire a developer to code something from scratch? Like what was that process like? And um, maybe how much did it cost and how intensive was it to set up an app for your product? Um, <laughs> I, I thought it was gonna be a lot easier than it was. All right, extremely <laughs> <laughs> uh, extremely long-winded. So the whole process probably took about six months. Um, and I didn't think it would stay that long. I'd never created an app before and uh, I had no idea what I was doing. So I just got some help from someone I knew. Um, they gave me a, a kind of a, a good deal on, on them project managing it, of which I can't say exactly how much it was, but it was, it was pretty cheap for, for what I was getting done. And the, the, the thing I did is create a, two documents. Right? The first document was the functionality. So just really going through a functionality brief of this is exactly what every single screen does, every single button does, this is how they interact and just plan it out. And obviously that took a while just to plan out what, what I wanted it to be like. I took a lot of influence from other apps that are already successful on the App Store. And the next thing was then creating a, creating a wireframe of just, just a template, right? Just really crude, here's the home screen, here's where I want you know, the, these buttons, here's the side menu, and here's what I want there, here's the copy. Uh, and you know, I think it was like nine screens or whatever it was. And then those just got sent off to some designers um, uh, they all got through Upwork, quite cheap. I had to go through a few of them because we were just going for cheap. Um, but eventually, and like what kind of what kind of rate are we talking about? Uh, well, hundreds of dollars, not not thousands. So. Yeah, and like hour like hourly but, rate, just so people have an idea. Oh, I don't, I don't, like, yeah, I don't. I don't know necessarily the hourly rate um, because I wasn't actually managing that process. I, I would just I'd pay the the bill. Um, at, at the end of the project. So I don't know the exactly hourly rate, but um, judging from the, you know, the amount that, that was actually paid, it, it wasn't very much. Um, <laughs> I know roughly if you want some high quality app developed, you're probably looking about $25 an hour. Um, you know, less than $10 an hour is, is probably gonna be quite rubbish. But I think what we did with this one is that we did it on a project basis. Uh, and the, I think one of the key things is that I went, I went to them with a really sturdy brief. There's no kind of, oh, we need to add on this, we need to do this, or back and forth, it's here's what I need, you know, here's all the materials, here's the assets you need, you know, go and do it. Um, it's not a particularly hard app. Um, so yeah, in terms of the actual hourly rate, it's, it's not something I, I actually know, to be honest, because I did it once and I was like, oh my God, I don't want to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> Way underestimated. In, in your brain, it sounds so oh. easy and good. It's like, oh yeah, I'll pay a few developers on Upwork and they'll, they'll whip up an app and it'll be great and I'll sell it to my customers. But six well, months later, yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's, it's the, the problem is, right? The problem is that um, a lot of people, particularly because I was just going for like cheap people, right? People that would just low, I would just lowball the price and say, "Can you do it for fifty dollars? Right? Can you do it for a hundred dollars? The whole thing." And people would be like, "No," but they would then you know, meet us somewhere. And that's generally my approach on Upwork is I can I lowball people like horrendously. You know, I want three D renders from my products. Cool, I'll give you thirty dollars. And they're like, "I'll do it for fifty. I'm like, "All right, good, we'll do it for fifty. <laughs> but really, it's like a three, four hundred, five hundred dollar thing. But you, you can just you can find people that are really, really good. Um, but we did go through probably like three developers that just said they could do it. But actually, when it got down to the, um, the the mechanics of the app and actually making it work, then they couldn't make it work. So all that work is then all that time. More more, more importantly, was just wasted. So I could have definitely made it quicker 
by paying people more upfront or paying people that have um, you know have proven to be better. But I was basically taking a punt on this app. I was like, I don't really know if it's going to work or not. So let me try and just get it nice and cheap and see what happens. But it did, of, of course, delay it. So it depends on, 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 on your goals, really. Um, I know for maybe the same sort of app, if I was to go through a professional agency, uh, it would probably cost upwards of, I don't know, like five to £8,000. Um, so what, $10,000 or so. Uh, definitely didn't pay anywhere near that. Like nowhere near that. But... I paid the price in time, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I think that's a really important trade-off that you're highlighting there is that, yes, it is possible to build entire teams and complete really awesome projects based on like the four-hour work week, just going and finding some virtual assistants, hiring them on Upwork or Virtual Staff Finder or any of these websites. But now you also need the, the um, skill set of being able to identify the good talent and managing that talent and training that talent. So if, especially if you're not an app developer, you have no tech background, actually uh, like you probably don't know how to communicate specifically to these developers. If they did something wrong, do you actually know how to identify <laughs> that and how to fix that? Right. It's a whole nother learning curve that is probably going to take yeah. you I, some yeah. time to figure out in your case, six months. Right. It, it, yeah, it, it was it was long. So when people ask me, I'm thinking about doing an app. And I was like, don't do an app unless it's like really required and it's going to make a huge difference. So for me, it does it does make a huge difference. And the cost per product is insignificant, right? It's almost nothing. It's you know under probably a penny per unit, um, like a cent per unit. So if it's if there's a really important need for it, then absolutely go for it because it's going to be a great selling point. Um, because it's something you can monetize in the future as well. If it's a, if it's a good app, then this it could be a bigger business. But the other thing that you can do is you could you could just pair up with someone else that has an app on the app store. And I've seen people do this now, um, where they said to me like, you know, I, I'm not going to do my own app, but um, I found an app that that does what I want. So we just go, okay, just just approach them. Say we want to pair up with you and partner with you, and we want to promote your app to our customers. Um, maybe there's some kickback, maybe there's not. But the benefit for you is that it boosts the value of your product or the perceived value for you, of your product. And if you can work out a deal with that company where someone gets like a credit or it obviously depends on the app, then it could be mutually beneficial for both people. So you don't have to develop an app to have an app, right? Yeah, I really love that idea. That is, um, you know, if you can find that something that already works, then play the networking game and you can jump through a lot of hoops, probably save yourself six months. I'm a really big mm -hmm. fan of cold DMs and sending very targeted people cold DMs. I think that's how I got a hold of you, actually, for this podcast interview. Mm -hmm. And it's just yep. you identify the people you want to make some kind of partnership and you send them a DM very targeted about something that's beneficial for them. And you can do a lot of really good business deals that way. Really, really powerful thing to do. Totally. And Johnny, we are we're reaching the end of our episode here. I just want to ask you, is there, you know, based on everything that we're talking about here, if I was an Amazon seller and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about how I can differentiate using the strategies that you mentioned here, some really good stuff with the app and with a lot of the other things you mentioned, um, you know, what kind of, what kind of final advice would you give to that person? Like a, just words of encouragement or maybe things to look out for? Yeah, I think the, the main thing I see for, see for people that um, are just starting is, is to be honest, commitment, right? So I would say to you, before you do anything, right, 
scale yourself from one to 10, how committed are you, right? How committed are you to finding a product, one to 10? How committed are you to investing in that product? And if that isn't a nine or 10, then there's something not quite right within your mentality towards the business. We, you, know, you need to be a nine or a 10 because it's a hard business to do, right? It's, you're gonna have to spend money out of your pocket on stock and it's a big thing if you've never done it before, especially if you've never had a business before. So I think the first thing to do is get yourself at a nine or 10 where like, I'm pumped to do this, I'm ready to do it. And a lot of the time that's like, I don't feel I have the knowledge. Right? If you're an eight or below, I don't feel I have the knowledge. I don't feel I have the support. I think I'm, 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 something's going to go wrong. So if those are the reasons, find more knowledge. Right? Find a support group. Find people that can to help be part of a community so that you can bump yourself up to a nine or a ten so that you can actually take the action that is going to get you to the point where you can have a product and you, it can be selling. Because most people, unfortunately, they just kind of give up, right? They just give up uh, at the very beginning stages because they're not a nine or a 10. They're like, I'm not super like, I'm going to do this. This is going to change my life. So one thing I would say is that particularly within product research, which is probably the longest part of the whole process and the part where people have the biggest drop off in terms of, oh, I'm just going to do something else, right? They get that shiny object syndrome is think about finding a product and developing it as a transformation, right? You're, you're doing this business to try and transform your life. Most of the people that work with me, they're trying to, you know, spend time, more time with their family, maybe go on more holidays, uh, you know, less time at work or quit their job, right? It's not have a Lamborghini. It's not going private jets. It's to have real things, right? So you're trying to do this to change your life and go through a transformation. So if you get um, disheartened, when it's taking a few weeks, right? And you've hit a roadblock and you think, oh my God, how am I going to get through this roadblock? Then think to yourself, right, it's, you know, is this worth me working through it and putting in the time because it's going to change my life or has the potential to change my life? And I think once you really understand your why, why you're doing this, then that, that part where you get disheartened and you feel like quitting then you can just reset, you can power through, understand why you're doing this and pull yourself back up to a nine or a 10. I'm super committed to this. I'm going to go and do it. All the common, common denominators between people that I have in, I have like a 10K, whereas a 10K club and a 100K club for like my um, clients. The common denominator between all of them is that they just push forward. They continue to take action even when times do get hard. And, you know, sometimes you have bad days, you have good days, but you just keep pushing forward and you keep taking action to the point where you succeed. So. I think the real key and one of the biggest reasons why people fail is their mindset. It's not the, the clicking the buttons. It's not doing the research. It's the mindset behind it. So uh, I think if you're at any stage in business at all, then just try and always sense yourself to why you originally started in the first place. So you can always push forward and, and get that transformation that you've been looking for. I love it. That's a mic drop right there. Well, <laughs> really thank you for your time, Johnny. It's been a really valuable episode. And I know this, especially thank for you. the people who are looking for a new product research and new ways of looking at this, identifying good gaps in the market. This one has been a really valuable one. And if people want to reach out to you or learn more about what you do online, where's the best place for them to do so? Um, probably the best place is it's probably YouTube. Um, if you just search Johnny Bradley, it'll, it'll come up there, obviously on socials. Um, I have a book. So for people that, you know, I, of course I have training courses and stuff like that. Um, but I put, I put a lot of the theory into a book that I wrote. 
and I put it here. It's called the one product strategy. And that's like, that's, that covers my ethos. Everything we've talked about and more is the theory. It's not the how, it's the theory of why things work. Um, so that's obviously one thing that people can do, which is, you know, very low cost, it's like $10 to, to get that delivered. Um, but yeah, just, just YouTube is the best place. Awesome. And guys, if you're looking for any of the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find that at actualizedfreedom.com with the show notes there. And if you haven't already, go leave us a review. I really made it easy for you guys. You guys can go to ratethispodcast.com slash free. That is free for freedom. Ratethispodcast.com slash free and leave us a review. Really appreciate it, guys. And for those of you who have been listening for a long time, you guys know that every time I get a review that's not five stars, I cry myself to sleep. So if you want me to cry myself to sleep tonight, then go leave a three-star review or a four-star review or maybe even a one-star review. But if it's a five-star review, I feel good about myself and um, I put a big smile on my face. So if you had it, guys, thank you for your time, Johnny. And go kick Thank you nice. very much, Danny. Thank you very much for having me on. appreciate it. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.